episode 55 of dads from the crypt and tales from the crypt podcast my name is jason i'm joined by mondo hello and jody hello switch it up on you guys yeah i wasn't ready for you messed me up because i planned on answering in german and then i just completely blinked <laughs> what am i doing here Ach, yeah there we go. <laughs> all right and tonight we have a very special guest we've taken to calling him our uncle al but you probably know him as Weird Uncle Al. Cats. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Our, our Funkle Al. <laughs> you can call me Al, right. Okay. Um, hey, hello, everybody. Hi, welcome. It's it's a pleasure to have you here. You know, normally I wouldn't have someone that worked on the show to actually review the show, but tonight we're doing something special. We're talking about the 72 Tales of the Crypt movie. So you're fair game and... Uh, Hey, hey. A big contributor to the podcast, so we thought we could repay you and have you on to have some fun. Um, uh, and I, I, I'm looking forward to to providing as much fun as I can. Excellent. So, um, but just to get a little current, you we wrapped up the first season of your your podcast, the How Not to Make a Movie, Making Bordeaux of Blood, and we, um, we, we did. And I and I've got a, an announcement that I can make tonight on your podcast about something that's uh, the second season of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast is coming up. It'll start in the first week or so in September. Wow. But I can tell you that the very first episode, well, let me go back a step. The The second season will be the same. The franchise is the same. It's it's movies going bad when, when film craft turns to crap. But <laughs> it won't just be about Bordello of Blood anymore, thank goodness. It'll be about... <laughs> All the other movies, and and between Gil Adler will be co-hosting the show with me, uh, the podcast with me, and you know we will reach out to everybody we know, all the filmmakers between Gil and I who we know, and we will invite them in to tell their sob stories. That's awesome. I, lo- I love the fact I that this is spinning it. off into but, its own but, um, but world. Yes. The <laughs> first episode mm-hmm. of season two will be a little... A little unusual. I mean, here and there, of course, we'll we'll end up talking about Tales from the Crypt a lot. On the very first episode, we're going to have uh, a conversation that has never happened in the world before. The four people responsible for really creating and, you know, I'd say creating the Crypt Keeper will have a conversation together for the first time ever. That would be Kevin Yeager, who, who designed the physical Crypt Keeper, John Kassir, who, of course, was the voice. Gil, who directed a lot of the Crypt Keeper and also produced all the Crypt Keeper segments that, that we did. And me, uh, I, put, I put words into the guy's mouth. That's and the four of us have never talked about the process of creating that franchise ever. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's so cool. That's so we're going to do that actually next Tuesday night is when we're going to record it. And then the, the, the following week, we'll... Hopefully that's when we'll, we'll drop episode one. And and we're lining up a bunch of really terrific guests for the second season. Uh, Gil is reaching down deep into his uh, 
his uh, phone book to uh, pull out some, some good guests for us. And I think we're going to have uh, a terrific second season. But the first episode, I think, will be especially yes. special. And now you all know. That's, That's so awesome. Cool. And for any of that haven't listened to season one yet, just um, you, you can pause our podcast and start listening to that podcast because it's fantastic. Like everyone should be listening to it. If, if you're not rolling a tear by the end of the episode, by the end of that season, you, you don't have a heart. <laughs> <It's> such, <laughs> it goes some places you really don't expect and just is so heartfelt. Um, how has been, how has the reception been, uh, that been, first season? It's been terrific, you know, and I've slowly been, been working on the process of, of, of getting it out there to more and more people and, and mm -hmm. certainly exposing it. Your audience helped tremendously just to get us up off the ground and, and, and get a little wind under our sails. Um, I apologize for the noise out on the no. street. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, uh, the, res the response has been uniformly terrific, um, and especially amongst other filmmakers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been really rewarding to, to that other people really were they recognized the the honesty mm -hmm. and the and the truth. Yeah. I, yeah. I listened to your um, spot with Mick Garrison. I'm sure that was, that was helpful. And, you know, he seems like a great guy all around. Well, Mick is always lovely. And, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's always, it, it always makes me laugh that someone so as gentle and genteel as Mick is a horror guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but actually most horror guys are, <clears throat> I apologize, most horror people are actually the, the, the loveliest, the loveliest people. Uh, oh. the, the when I started doing Tales from the Crypt, one of the things that that I would tell people, and because it occurred to me, it was a great gig because I got to kill so many people <laughs> and get away with it. It was yeah. awfully therapeutic. Yeah. And we and we love hearing your weekly stories. That's been a great contribution to the podcast. Oh, well, well thank, you, thank you. There, there, there are all these things gathering dust in, in the nether regions of my brain, so I might as well spend them here. Uh, speaking of which, we can address one thing that came up on Twitter today. It was someone, uh, one of our friends, uh, Jonathan, posted a picture of you and Gil at the ending of uh, Demon Knight as the yes, yes, final yes. cut producers. And it's funny because I, I rewatched Demon Knight last time to before I interviewed Ernest Dickerson. And for the first time, since actually I, I can put your face to it, and then I, I recognize Gil... It's a very quick shot. I told like, oh my god, they put them in there. I never realized that before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about that shot for a minute? Uh, Is there anything we, behind we, that? We did that in Westwood. I think that was might have been the very last thing that we did in in the whole movie. Mm. Um, we shot it in Westwood at one of the big movies movie theaters in Westwood. I, I haven't been to Westwood in, in a thousand years. Are those movie theaters even there anymore? They used to premiere movies all the time in Westwood, all the time. And it was at one of those movie theaters that had a great forecourt. And so it was the obvious place to, to, to give that kind of uh, Grauman's feel to it. I don't remember much about that night other than the fact that when, when the, you know, Gil and I sat in our trailer together all night just, just waiting for our, our shot. And when it came, <laughs> we, we went on. I, I do remember that, that Joel was there. 
and that, oh, now that I think of it, Joel Joel had to be on the set that night, and and Joel rode us all night. <laughs> <laughs> he rode us all all bloody night, and yeah. Uh, uh, now that I I, I remember it, <laughs> he was he was setting us up for Bordello of Blood, the son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, we just have a quick announcement before we dive into our episode. Uh, in case you haven't heard, we now have a Patreon account, and uh, yeah, you can find it by you know looking for Dads from the Crypt on Patreon. Uh, it's a great way to support the podcast, and uh, we're going to be putting up some extra content soon. Um, I want to thank our first round of people who signed up, including um, our fun aunt, our fonts, Whitney. <laughs> Our friend uh, Ozzy Andy from Australia and Tommy from BJ Slack. So thank you for your support. No, nobody else signed up. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and someone day, named uh, Armando. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just wanted to shout out from Jason. That's it. I'm, I'm canceling after this after this month. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, I was sure if you just signed up for the uh, for the thank you. Then was going to quit on me or what? <laughs> <laughs> just fishing for a compliment. Yeah. Hey, Amen. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, 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 I don't hand those out like candy, so you gotta earn it. All right, tonight we are talking about Tales from the Crypt, the movie, which came out on March 9th, 1972. And this is a collection of stories. So we're gonna do this in a little bit different format. We're gonna go through, we're gonna start off with the kind of the wraparound stuff, and then we're gonna kind of go through each segment individually, kind of discuss and review, and do our comic comparison for each segment. So, Jody, you've got the unenviable task of uh, synopsizing each one of these. Um, All right. So take I've, us I've away. had practice. I've had practice. You've been training for this. Yeah. Okay. So, I can synopsize the uh, the wraparound super easy. Um, first off, there's like a – I actually looked at my, my uh, timer to see how long it was. Seven minutes of people wandering around in a crypt for the first part of this movie. It's just – walking around in like a dark tomb and then we meet this mysterious figure who is the crypt keeper unlike the crypt keeper we're very used to full of puns and jokes this is a very serious british man and uh this is a british production and it is extremely british all the way through just uh, so british that is exactly the right word it is it, <laughs> just it, british it is very british yeah i'd even say english it, it's more it, it's it's particularly british it's english yeah, I'm, right. I'm married to an English person, so. Uh, there you go. Oh, we should have, yeah, we should have had your wife on. What? We should have had your wife on. Well, she's been in a couple. She was in a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, all I'm gonna say is I'm I'd be more terrified to meet this creep this crypt keeper than I would be to meet the modern crypt. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. No. This um, this crypt keeper. It's like going to the principal's office. Like you, <laughs> when you when you show up and this crypt keeper starts telling you stories, you listen because you're afraid to not. This crypt keeper is very judgy. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, I noticed in the credits when it uh, had the crypt keeper's credit, it is Sir uh, whatever his name is. So this Ralph this man Richardson. was knighted. Yeah, he's knighted. Um, oh, and one thing to point out is I always thought this was a Hammer production, but it's Amicus. Yeah, Amicus did all the British anthologies. That was kind mm -hmm. of their whole thing. Um, we watched one called Monster Party just recently that was another Amicus anthology. They're all pretty fun. Like I, I do like them. They're very British, just like this one. Uh, Monster <laughs> Party. Was that on was that on Last Drive In? Yeah, it was on Last yeah, Drive In. That, that's if you haven't watched that, that's a, for anybody out there, that's a blast. Yeah. 
there's an animated striptease scene where someone pulls off their skin and they're a dancing skeleton. I mean, come on, come on. Uh, but anyway, so the British Crypt Keeper starts telling them stories uh, that he says are what might happen, how you might die uh, if you do the things that you're thinking about doing. There's a twist later on, but uh, that's that's how it starts. And then we jump into stories just right off the bat. Each person in there, there are uh, four people, and each of them gets their own story. Oh, five people, sorry. And each person gets their own story. And uh, that's where we get into the classic Tales from the Crypt stories. So that's so your just Yeah, so okay. So Jody uh, starts off with uh, number one. All right, number one is a very classic Tales from the Crypt story, All Through the House. Uh, it was in the first season of the TV show. And uh, super simple story. A woman kills her husband. And uh, she tries to hide the body and then finds out that there's a homicidal maniac in the area who is on the loose and dressed as Santa Claus. This woman sees the killer outside her house, but she can't uh, call the police because if she calls the police, they're going to find out she murdered her husband. So instead, she tries to make it look like he did it. Uh, but her young daughter, Carol, and let's go ahead and... Uh, just put out a blanket spoiler warning for all these stories. They're very short, so uh, we can't do it without spoilers. It's it's fifty years old at this point. It is a fifty years. Nineteen seventy two. Yeah, just yeah. hit fifty. Yep. Um, but anyway, so his uh, her daughter Carol still believes in Santa Claus and sees Santa Claus outside and lets him in. And then we end this segment with Santa Claus attacking the mom and trying to strangle her. A very simple story. Uh, Classic tales from the crypt. Can I mention she had the coolest telephone I've ever seen? Oh my god, yes! <laughs> with, with the rotary dial on the bottom, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Was... I thought that was super neat, and and also um the way Santa choked her, like yeah, come on, like come on. <laughs> no, there's something Lando's not criticizing the choking technique. <laughs> Hold on, going going back to the phone for a second though. There's something I missed about dramatically dialing a number in that way that you just don't mm -hmm. get with the cell phone. No, yeah, because everything's already saved on your phone. You just hit one button. That, like, slow, like... Well, obviously, somebody needs to create an app that will do that on your phone. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh... there, there's, there's a small fortune to be made right here. It reminds me of Mitch Hedberg, Joe, when he said, if you get in a fight with your uh, girlfriend while you're camping, you can't, like, leave the tent and, and slam the, uh, the flap. <laughs> Does it have the same effect? Yeah, hang, hanging up on a cell phone just doesn't have the same effect as, like, you know, slam it out a phone on the receiver. And, and, and if you're smart, you just put your phone in airplane mode, so that way they just think the call failed. They yeah. Away and enjoy your day. <laughs> All right. So, Mondo, why don't you start us off? What did you think of this segment? I, I liked it, but I'm, I'm a sucker for Killer Santa Claus. Uh, I, I think that this hits at a visceral level. I mean, en enough to where when Silent Night, Deadly Night came out, Roger Ebert just slammed it for, for bringing the Killer Santa Claus aesthetic. So it's simple to the point. I think it works pretty much every time. But I do like how, um, and I said it about the, the original episode, how they bring in just that twist where she killed her husband. Because mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, kind of nowadays we're always trying to, it, modern filmmakers have to always account for the cell phone. Why does a cell phone not work? And this one, they had to count for why doesn't she just call the cops? And, and that was cool. And plus with the kid letting the Santa Claus in. Um, for some reasons, even even nice Santa Clauses at the mall are still kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's, and the guy had that really, really great look on his face. I, I forgot the, uh, the actor's name. And then uh, Joan Collins is just wonderful. So uh, uh, a very, very big highlight of this episode for me. I'll leave it at that. 
Big fan. Al, what'd you think? Al, what'd you think? Yeah, yeah, you know. My my problem with 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 this segment was was the same problem I have with all the segments. Now they truncated everything un, un, yeah. under understood and you know we we you nailed it up front. You said it's really really British. It's very English. The thing about Tales from the Crypt about the source material, and it's funny the all the stories get it's a morality tale. And all these are very definitely morality tales. And Ralph Richardson is the crypt keeper. He's, you know, he's Mr. Moral. And, you know, certainly everyone's going to pay the price for being an immoral dick in whatever way that, that, that they were. But, and, and there's the irony. The irony is all there. But it's absolutely devoid of fun. Mm-hmm. And the, the really remarkable thing is, you know, uh, Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein and and uh, uh, oh gosh, who was the uh, uh, um, um, the, you know the other original guys? A lot Jack. of them. Uh, they were they were Jewish, mm-hmm. and they were all from Brooklyn. I mean, even Jack DeBartolo, who I don't I don't know Jack DeBartolo is Jewish, but they were all from Brooklyn. They were all from really the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. And so there's a, a, a Brooklyn Jewish sensibility to Tales from the Crypt that's its sense of irony is in, uh, it really is very intensely Jewish. And when, when they did Tales from the Crypt in, in England, they didn't take that across the pond with them. And what's, what's remarkable is that every one of those stories, when, when we did it, when you know, the American versions, it above all it it had that incredible sense of wicked fun that yeah that that anarchic coloring outside the lines we're not playing by the rules and that is something that the english film at no point captures at no point everyone's getting punished because they were bad <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and, and and hey, the the they're all going to hell anyway. You know, there's there's the, uh, oh spoiler. You know, there's that shot towards the end where, where yeah, no, uh, we're beyond spoilers. Green green screen hell. Oh boy, <laughs> you know it's, it's <laughs> yeah. It, it, it takes it right off the bat. There, there's there's there can be no fun here. <laughs> there's just no possibility oh, for fun. Well, it brings either, a- this is not a playful movie at all. No, 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 no. So it's. So right off the bat, you know, they, they took source material that was wicked fun and they stripped all the fun out of it and they just left the wicked. Right. And that's that's one thing. I mean, we're just going to talk about it off the bat, I guess. This it's how do you approach this uh, on a film critique level? Are you trying to take it on its own terms or are you trying to take it into the sensibilities with all the other baggage that we know? Um, because if it is a British film made by British people made to be with British sensibilities, is it succeeding on that level, or are we trying to interpret it through? But they took you know, a piece of American source material. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, and it, 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 it's not unlike Americans taking Shakespeare and screwing it up. Well, I mean, you could look like Baz Luhrmann, but still. Yeah. I think the fun, and, and actually the, another word I might use is sleaze, for lack of a better term. It kind of like, they kind of cleaned it up a little bit. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this is, this is PG. This is PG Tales from the Crypt. Well, yeah. Very much. I, remember, I, I watched this for the first. I, I bought the. It was a two pack. You got this and Vault of Horror at the same time. Right. You bought the DVD. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago or whatever another and, amicus anthology yeah and that's the first time that i watched it and i hated it because i i wanted tales from the crypt i didn't want mm-hmm. i'd never seen it before and you know back then it you know, wasn't as prominent as now so i kind of had to walk into this with a different lens knowing that it was going to be much darker and yeah but i agree with you does not uh if i if i had to pick everybody out there thinks what should i start watching like this is not i, I actually really did enjoy the movie overall but i don't love it as much as i love tales from the crypt no, it's, it's yeah. not even close. It's well, another I mean, interpretation of the source material, which you know doesn't make it any better or worse. It's just you know that yeah, interpretation. There's, it's, it's well directed. Freddie Francis was a good director. There's some lovely shots. There, there's some good directorial work. However, however, you mentioned that it was seven minutes of people just walking through. There is so much bloody shoe leather in this movie. Mind-boggling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good Lord. The shoe leather, the people walking, the cars just driving, 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 driving. Oh, <laughs> yeah. if Gil and I had, 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 had final cut on this, the movie would be 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for this segment specifically, just so we can keep it you yeah, know, I'm, I'm segmented. The whole format. I, I've ruined everything. No, 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 not at all. No, it's, it was kind of the elephant in the room. So it's either we talk about now or later. But I would say that I like Joan Collins better in this role than the woman on the TV show. I, I'm blanking on her name. I know it was Robert Zemeckis. Mary Ellen wife, Mary Ellen. Yeah, I like Joan. Bob's wife at the time. Bob's wife, yeah. I kind of like Joan Collins better in this role. But Larry Drake. Oh. Man, yeah. oh, that hundred percent. That's all Drake. the difference in the world. This guy, this guy was it's just a guy in a Santa Claus outfit yeah. looking in the window. Yeah, yeah he, he's just kind of a like dirty guy in a Santa costume. Larry Drake yeah. looked insane, he like, looks absolutely like insane and terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Imagine. Exactly. But it, it's that same, you know, that understated English quality. They, you know, well, you know, we don't want Santa to look too crazy. And, right. and speaking of Larry Drake, I think he's crazy. Uh, imagine Dr. Giggles or Dark Man without Larry Drake. And yeah, oh, God, impossible. He's so good. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'll give this one points for the Joan Collins character. I thought she was really right. good. Agreed. And also, like, again, she was she was still like kicking as far <laughs> compared to most of the people in this in this movie. She was American Horror Story recently. You know, she's still doing philanthropy work. Um. I- I do love the set pieces too. I kind of love that seventies art deco kind of house mm-hmm. they had. I did kind of really yeah. dig that. Yeah, because I mean, it's not just British; it's like upper crust British. Like, and, yeah. and that house very much felt like this is a fancy house for you know nice, polite, rich people. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy seeing that invaded by dirty Santa Claus. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> The blood is very, very red. Oh, yeah, not a lot of blood in this movie, but boy, it is that paint blood. It's the yellow red one. It. I kind of love it. It it made me think immediately of the question that our our Canadian special effects team asked when we were doing Bordello of Blood. How how do you make blood? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, was thinking that. Like, you get asked. You can get a time why, machine, call Todd Masters, and have them tell him how to make Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that we, we talked to Todd about was, you know, <laughs> help these guys just make some blood. Oh, that <laughs> blood looked awful. It was, it was, it's paint. It's just yeah. straight up paint. And she's did, trying to get out of that white fur rug. <laughs> I was like, yes. I was like, what are you, are you doing? Well, wait, wait, wait. wait just what, throw that rug what? out. <laughs> Obviously, this, this is like, 
years and years before uh, CSI, where, sweetie, you're wasting your time trying to clean the <laughs> blood out of the rug. Good God. She didn't plan that one out was, very well. There, there was one, like, you know, decent stunt scene in this because when she threw her husband into the basement, mm-hmm. he did a full out somersault down the stairs. I was like, that's honestly yeah. kind of impressive uh, that, for like a 50 something plus British man to go that, that, that somersaulting man, down the stairs. That stunt man was just paralyzed the rest of his life. They just looked like he, a terrible thing to have to do. He just left him down there. Yeah, <laughs> he's still there. <laughs> I did like how they had the Christmas music track just kind of going throughout the entire mm-hmm. segment nonstop. Like obviously it wasn't one really shot or anything, cool. but the music was, and just kind of like almost like a drone of of Christmas music. Mm-hmm. As you can see, her dread level going up. So. Uh, well, you know, Freddie's a Freddie's a really good director, so there, there, you know, there were some great directorial touches. There, there, there were. Mm-hmm. One other thing I noticed in this one, and I, this is probably the morality place of it, is in the show. Um, I think the husband was kind of a bastard a little bit, yeah. so that when you killed him, he's like, okay, you kind of sympathize with her. He seemed like a nice guy in this one. Like, he's right. putting together <laughs> Christmas presents and like, oh, sweetie, well, I made you this present. And then she just murders him for money. Like, she's just... The, the bad guys in this one are bad. Like, there's no question. There's no back and forth of maybe it was justified or whatever. No, they're just bad. They're I, bad for bad sake. I, they've um, truncated everything here. They're, they're, yeah. There's no... Uh, the character's Oh, okay. So, you know, e- even when characters come back from the dead, it's like, oh, is that how it works here? Okay. <laughs> uh, if, if, right, if that's the rules in this episode, okay. If there's Whatever. an overarching um, uh, something to take from this, it's that if you're uh, if you're married, don't have a life insurance policy because then your yeah. wife won't murder you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Do or it on have, the down low. Don't have fire pokers. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Jody, you read the com- you reread the comic for this one, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, Vault of Horror number 75, the February-March 1954 issue. As far as a comparison, this is just a straight-up, like, this is the comic uh, brought to life, uh, just without the playfulness. Like, all the plot points are exactly the same. Probably change some names around, as they tend to do. But, uh, yeah, no, this is a very faithful adaptation of this particular story. So, uh, if you want to see... Without anything added to it, just like a straight adaptation of a Tales from the Crypt story, this is, this is pretty pretty close to it. It's about as close as you're going to get. You know, I remember in the TV show, there was some like extra plot points and things like that because you got to pat out that 25 minutes sometimes. Hey, let me tell you. Well, yeah, but the, yeah, but those are, <laughs> but the added like some set pieces where she's stuck in the closet and he's like climbing up. You know, right. That and there was the, the well outside, well, like, yeah. throwing the husband down the well and all this stuff. This is the comic, though. It's just, it's just straight. They can make it as short or as long as they need to as part of this anthology. It was actually this was one of the shorter segments, I think. Um, yeah, but yeah I was, it's, it's pretty faithful. Yeah, I was shocked when it ended. I was like, "Wait, what?" It felt like five minutes. Like it, yeah. it happened so fast. All right. Uh, anything else before we move on to the next one? All right, let's move on, Jody. All right, the next one is Reflection of Death. Uh, and between all these segments, we go back to the Crypt Keeper and the people kind of like, what are you doing? And then he tells another story. And th- that happens between every segment. Well, they're, they're, they're like, what, what did I do to deserve this? And he's like, right. oh, l- let me tell you. Let say- me tell you about you, you piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> I did really love the Crypt set piece. So I thought it was a really cool. Yeah. Story. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. That chair with like the, the skull like yeah. uh, in the background. That was cool. Yeah, I wish I had a basement because I want to recreate that. 
but <laughs> no, no creamer style. Yes. All right. So reflection of death. A uh, man named Carl kisses his kids and his wife good night, and then leaves to abandon his family to run off with his secretary Susan. Uh, they drive off together. They're involved in a car wreck. Terrible car wreck rolls down the hill. He wakes up having been thrown up from the car and tries to get home. And everyone who sees him like, ah, reacts with horror and runs away. And he goes home and his wife reacts the same way. Then he goes to see Susan and her house is all different than the last time he saw it. Uh, she can't see him. She's blind from the accident. And she says the accident happened two years ago and Carl died in it. And Carl looks and sees his reflection. He's a rotted corpse, screams in horror, and then wakes up in the car right before the accident. And then that accident happens again. So I don't know if this is like a time loop kind of situation where it just goes over and over. That's what I was thinking. Uh, but uh, abandons his family, car accident, living corpse. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. This was my least, I think probably my least favorite episode. I, I liked the concept of someone kind of like the first person and people being afraid of you and you know that, mm -hmm. but that only lasted like a minute. Um, and then the rest of it, you're like, oh, I'm, I don't, I'm not sympathizing for this guy at all. Um, I want him to burn. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Unsympathetic I, characters is kind of a theme with this uh, <laughs> movie. The, the thing I really liked about it is, and, and I'm with you, Jason. I think it's probably my least favorite of, of all the episodes mm -hmm. of all the, uh, uh, the segments, segments is I do love the reveal though. When he's looking at the uh, the photos and he sees himself mm -hmm. in the glass table, um, or as a mirror, like I absolutely love that reveal because um, I, I one thing I miss that modern movies don't do as much is make you wait for the payoff. And mm -hmm. I did think it was cool that you're you're constantly thinking, "What does this guy look like?" And then when you finally get the payoff, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool makeup effect. No, I, I like that moment, but it wasn't yeah. enough to justify no, no, the rest uh, of it. A hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. That's just the, the one piece that I really did enjoy. Well. You know, I, I if if I I have the same problem with with, with all of them. It, it's who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the the you know the writer in me you know looks at 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 this writer and and I always want more. So at, at the end of the day. Yeah, the, the the thing I said about the first segment segment is the same as through really all of them. It 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 they're so English. They 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 miss all the fun, and <laughs> because it 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 it's it so it takes it so literally. Yeah, it's very it's it, very reserved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not diving into it. He's not like, oh, I'm so happy to be free, running off with my secretary. He's like, oh no, I'm just going for a drive with my secretary. Just whatever. Yeah. No, it's even, like blase. It's, it's, it's not, even there right before they run off, they're talking and like, well, I guess we're going to run off together. Oh, yep. Uh, you know, we all had to make sacrifices. That's how affairs work, right? People just are like, well, this we're changing our arrangement now. Okay, I agree. Let's go. <laughs> they get in the car. This, the, the, this, this whole movie reminds me of an old joke that a, 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 actually a, a German friend of mine, my company's German, a German friend told me, he goes, how many Germans does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, one, Nine. one. Us Germans are efficient, and we do not appreciate humor. 
and, and the more and the more Al was bringing up how like they do it play it really straight and narrow. That's all I could think of is they're they're really kind of eliminating that that fun cheese piece to it. And now you you guys are making me hate this movie more than I thought I did. So <laughs> again, if you if this was if this is your jam, if you like reserved British, you know, drama with a little bit of a horror tinge, then yeah, this is this is for you. I know. I, 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 I think I, I like this as an Amicus anthology. Yes, yes. I don't like it as a Tales from the Crypt story. You know. Uh, I'll you know. Equate- yes. If 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 it was not Tales from the Crypt, it would be a little bit. E- yeah. It's not a bad movie. It's, it's a fine it's, anthology. It, it, it's well made, but but it's if you look at the source material, it's not a good adaptation. Right. Uh, because I'll- it misses something so essential to what makes the material work what makes it transcend it what makes it work over the course of all this time yeah and thinking it doesn't about work like, as well their their version doesn't yeah. stand up no and think it's of anthologies because they have to reset so often it can be very jarring and this and this makes it even like worse but they don't give you any setup so i think to quote well, fix this you would have had to probably sacrifice well, one episode you know and flesh out each on, one. well yes you, you know it it's a very classic structure. It, it's like uh, Boccaccio's The Decameron, which is, you know, it takes place during the Black Death and a bunch of uh, young people hole up in, a, in a, a, a farmhouse or a castle and they tell each other stories. You know, so it's a, it's, a very, it's a very classic form in which to tell, you know, anthological, an anthological story and stories. Um, but hey, man, even the Canterbury Tales was was way more fun than than this. <laughs> well, I think I you think had part the Miller's it, Tale at least in the Canterbury Tales. I think part of it. I know they, you know, they don't have the fun. They also don't have a lot of character in any of these stories because we jump straight. This is a very plot driven. Like all the stories are just plot, and we don't get a lot of. I said earlier something about like stuff that was added to the stories because we're going from a comic book, right? And the comic book didn't have a lot of character. They just jumped right into the story. Mm. But to make a satisfying thing to watch, you have to connect with some character. These characters were just, we're already in the story. The guy kisses his kids goodbye and he gets in the car. Like, that's it. Like, that, that is our entire introduction to this character as he's leaving his family. That's all we ever know about him, honestly, is he's leaving right. his family and, and he gets in a car wreck. When we meet these, these, these people at the beginning, we have no, they're no one to us. Mm-hmm. And so hearing their stories is, 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 it's not opening any, any doors or windows that we're going to go through down the road. It, they're all going to get tossed anyway. They're all, apparently they're all fodder to begin with. Yeah. So they, uh, what is the writer's name? The writer is Milton Sabotsky. And Sabotsky, you know, he, he, he wrote a few things. He was uh, not an untalented guy, but, but he, uh, what I think people do with horror often is they, under they undervalue and they don't invest in character as 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 much as they could or should and i think there's there's a part of horror that unfortunately lives in, in even in the minds of, of of creative people we we don't give it its true 
worth. We, we get lazy and we assume that to scare people or, or to set up a scare, you do this and you do that. Well, there's really the nature of, of what, what is scary is, is, is very, it's down into the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of, of who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the scariest movies I've ever seen are movies where I care about the characters and so when something bad is happening to them, I'm afraid for them. And then I'm afraid for myself because yeah. I'm afraid for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. We put ourselves in, in their place. And, and it's our empathy that really is, is the thing that, that the more empathy we have, the more terrifying it is. And, uh, and in this episode, the only person you have empathy for would really be his family, who they never really address in the entire yeah, episode. So, again, yeah. so who yeah. cares? Yeah, 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 yeah. I one thing we haven't talked about is obviously they had to get permission from EC Comics to use these stories. I'm curious if they put stipulations, if they had any input, or did they just rent out the pro- or license out the property? So I'd be cur- obviously we can't really find out now, but I'd be curious to know what that arrangement was. I think the two. I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. The two stories that I like the most out of this are the ones that have the most character and we haven't gotten no. either of them yet. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think those are, that's what's missing from a lot of these. I'm, I'm going to assume that, that Bill Gaines made the same kind of deal with, with, with these people that, that he made with us. Uh, Bill was, was wonderful to work with and I didn't work for him specifically, but in, in a sense, proxy. you know, his, the way his, the way that Bill thought, he, he, he wasn't the creative guy. He created the environment where all the creative people could just do whatever they wanted. And, awesome. and that was his genius. He, he allowed, well, he, he trusted his collaborators to do what they were going to do. And that's pretty much, there's, there's a great story about him. Uh, you know, they would go on a, 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 an office vacation every year he would take everyone on a on a trip and the first place they ever went <clears throat> and they went to Haiti hmm. and they had you know they went to Haiti because they had one subscriber <laughs> that's so cool and and so the whole point was they were going to go and the the subscriber didn't know they were coming and they went to the subscriber's house and and they 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 threw a party for the subscriber at the subscriber's <laughs> house and he was rather bewildered, but okay. And someone else subscribed while they were there. They thought they were just these crazy Americans that they subscribed. And Bill Gaines considered the whole trip an incredible success because they doubled their subscription numbers in eight. <laughs> Well, if we have one listener in Haiti, then uh, I'll, I'll make I'm, a trip. Well, 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 Jason, we at least have one listener in Australia, just saying. Yeah. There, well, hey, there you, get, you get two. You, you, you'll double it. Yeah. But this was, too many snakes. This was the environment that 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 he created, and so uh, the deal that that Bill Gaines had with us was we had to maintain the title. Yeah, and so we had to use the title, and I, everything I would, else we we could go to town. But I'd be interested to hear what his reaction to this movie was. Whether he was happy, he was like, "Okay, it is what it is," or you know. I bet he was thrilled to pieces. I, I bet he did not care one iota. <laughs> oh, well, the way you're describing him is he'd be just kind of. Excited to see a different interpretation of his work. I think is yeah. what, what it sounds I, like. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I, he was, he was. What a pleasure to having grown up in the '60s. I read those. I, I got those 
comic books. I I had them. I I I loved early Mad and and Mad Magazine. Say I, I love Mad I, Magazine. Yeah, I I yeah. loved Bill Gates, and mm-hmm. one of the the rem- I was so lucky to get to 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 do Tales from the Crypt and then meet Bill Gaines. Oh yeah, and. You know the the lunch I had with Bill Gaines in Joel's uh, trailer at on the set of of, uh, of Lethal Weapon Two wow. was was such a thrill because when do you get to 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 meet uh, not just you know your idols but really someone who I mean a lot of my sensibility flowed out of what Bill Gaines helped create. That helped create my creative sensibility. And here you are, you get to meet the guy who put this into your head. <laughs> That's so awesome. awesome. That's so cool. So I, how would Bill Gaines have reacted to this movie? I, I bet Bill Gaines would have, was happy as can be with it. Yeah. That would have been my guess. Mondo, you read the comic for this yes. one? Uh, I think Can you comic, give us a comparison? Yeah, I think the comic is way better than the episode, especially when you consider when the comic came out and, and what they were doing. Like they have the, it's still, it's the narrator is talking to you in the first person the entire comic, um, which mm. gives it like this frantic sensibility, which is which a lot of exclamation points and bold words, which if you know in <laughs> comics, bold words are important. Um, really well done, but but in the comic, the, the difference is he's they don't they, they get rid of the whole backstory of the family, and uh, the main character is actually riding with a friend of his in a car, and they get on a head-on collision, and everything else kind of works out the same except he goes back to his old house, is condemned, and then he meets his friend who's in the car with, and the friend tells the friend is blind just like the episode, and then he sees himself in the mirror, he wakes up, and then once again. He relives the car accident, but the end is a little bit different and maybe it's a little bit different, but at the end is he's, it's the narrator telling you, this is all real. This really happened. This is what you have to deal with. And good luck. The end. (laughs) It's Uh, almost like those drunk driving PSAs. Yeah. But it was kind of cool, especially considering when it came out and I don't, I I don't have the date of when this one came out. I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm not as prepared as Jody is, Uh, Uh, but that's uh, April, May, 1951. uh, Yeah. To have that kind of first person. Uh, mm-hmm. that first person uh, narrative with the, the, the narrator blurbs who's telling you what you're experiencing. Uh, kind of a cool, kind of, kind of a really, really cool idea. And um, the artwork in this, I absolutely love. Uh, the, 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 the zombie face they draw for him is actually kind of horrifying even in 2022. Who, who did the artwork in the comic? Do you remember? I, I see Jody looking that up, so I'm, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'll get. I'll get there. <laughs> Let's see. Um, reflection of death. Let me find that one for you. While Jody's getting it, uh, the, the Crypt Keeper wraparound they always do in these comics. I absolutely love um, because it says uh, that's it. Like it. Like being a corpse. Well, you might as well get used to it because it's bound to happen. <laughs> Like, what a oh, morbid wow. way to end the story. <laughs> Be like, well, you're going to die someday, kids, so <laughs> enjoy. Okay, so this is something I've never seen before. Uh, script by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein. Hmm. Pencils and art also by Al Feldstein. I didn't know he did art. Oh, wow. This was a, this was all him, man. Like, I, I've never seen his name under the art side of things, so that's oh, super cool. It, it, I'll put the uh, image here in the chat because I absolutely love uh, the drawing of, of the, the the zombie face, the face melting. Oh yeah, that's well, great. It won't paste. 
<laughs> so maybe I will. Some great podcasting here. Great Let's uh... radio here, guys. Uh, but uh, I'll send you guys the images because, but it's, uh, it's right. fantastic. Let's uh, let's move on to poetic justice, Jody. All right. So I went ahead and told you at the beginning that I had two that I liked the best. This is one of the ones I like the best. All right. So we have a man named Arthur, played by Peter Cushing, who is a trash man who has a bunch of dogs and enjoys uh, entertaining the neighborhood kids in his home. He's just a nice guy all around. And he has a neighbor uh, named James who is an absolute dick and hates him for no good reason, calls him dirty, and uh, he and his father plot to do horrible things to this man. Uh, first, he uh, gets all of his dogs taken away, and then he makes him lose his job as a trash man, and then he spreads rumors that the man is a pedophile so that the kids don't hang out with him anymore. And then finally... On Valentine's Day, they send him a whole, they get the whole town to send him a whole bunch of mean Valentine's Day cards with mean poems in them. Just <laughs> dickish behavior all the way around. I, uh, I messaged Jason and Mondo as I was watching this one. I said, this may be the most punchable character in all Tales from the Crypt media. I want to hit this man. He is a terrible, terrible. Man. This reminds you of somebody posted in the holidays about why the Grinch was so angry. And it said, you'd be angry, too, if someone was singing about what a piece of shit you were 24 hours a day. Like, yeah. every, like everyone is just so mean to this poor guy. And he yeah, is this, a nice this guy, guy. This guy makes Roach from Demon Knight seem nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this guy, uh, Peter Cushing's character, is such a nice guy. He does not deserve any of this. He has done nothing to anybody. But these two people are just complete pieces of crap and they keep doing mean things to him for no reason. Well, and eventually it causes him to commit suicide. He hangs himself and uh, they find him. They also find out that his house that they say is just a filthy hovel. It's not dirty at all. It's a clean little nice house. He just happens to be a trash man. That is his job. Respect for the trash men of the world. I wouldn't want to do that job thankful that some people do the trash men uh, but union, anyway they make good money they have retirement it's pension, a good like, job yeah it's a good union job guys <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with being a trash man um it's, it's usually municipal job so yeah it's got great that's money, absolutely too. um but anyway a year later on the next valentine's day james is throwing away some extra valentines that he has and uh then we see in the graveyard arthur returns from the dead he bursts out of the grave and shambles his way to james and his father finds him the next morning with a little poem written to him it says happy valentine's day you were mean and cruel right from the start now you really have no and he unwraps the rest of the card and there is his son james still beating heart wrapped up in the paper I was waiting for something bad to happen to this guy. I'm glad it did. I, I'm glad that we finally got a little gore in this uh, movie. Very little, but uh, James deserved something terrible to happen to him. Yeah. Um, I like this one. The Peter Cushing like, blew my mind because I only know him like you know, from Star Wars and from uh, playing, you know, the the Doctor uh, Victor Frankenstein, and then playing um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. I think he played Dracula. You know, he's a very dignified mm -hmm. man, but here he's playing this really kindly, genteel, older man. I'm just like, wow! I've never seen that performance from oh, Peter Gershing before. You want me to blow your mind even more? Mm -hmm. 
this is IMDb trivia, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But according to the trivia there, Peter Cushing is said to act as himself in this movie because his wife had recently died. Mm, and in the I didn't get into that in the synopsis, but like he's a widower, he uses a Ouija board to talk to her. This is apparently Peter Cushing being Peter Cushing. Like this is what he's like in wow. real life. Wow. Uh, he wanted to do this movie so much he took a lower fee than his normal like hammer Peter Cushing fee because he just really liked it. Uh, so next time you see, you know, serious Peter Cushing, I think he's actually a nice dude like behind <laughs> the scenes. Uh, imagine that. Horror actors are nice people. <laughs> Horror people are nice people. We've yeah. already said that. Exactly. And it is true. It is very true. Al, what do you think of this episode? Again, it, it's the, you know, what is the son's deal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, why you got a bug up your ass for, for the guy across the street? What's he ever done to you? What were you one of the kids across the street and you and then give you candy one day? What, what, what's your problem? Now, the real pro- the, the, the character who's really the, the more problematic is the dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who sits there smoking his pipe while the son's being the biggest dick on the planet. Never does it occur to the dad to go, okay, look, this is not necessary. Stop this. Or if you really want to fuck with the guy, let's do it this way. Just sitting there, you know, it's... <laughs> I mean, he he obviously did not raise his son right, so yeah. So I well, I, yeah, but it's like he's not like joining in the glee. He's just so indifferent the entire time. Yes, it's like but, 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 it's, but it's the indifference is. Do you not see what what your son is doing? Make a choice here. <laughs> mm-hmm. He he's 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 very English about it. Well, not none of my concern. Right. <laughs> that's that's happening across the street, mind you. That's not where <laughs> I live. You're on this side of the street. Everything's just. Fine. I mean, it sounds like a certain political party in the U.S. right now, too. So, you know, you know that dad in in, in this in this uh, in this episode, you know, he votes conservative. Oh, if it was <laughs> if this movie came out today, we'd be questioning where he was on January six. Be- <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do, yeah, I I, I like some of the perform. I like the performance in this one, and yeah, that ending was a good, nice little gory punch. Compared to the other ones. Yeah, I, th- I think why I like this one better is it actually got me to feel something about some of the characters. And what I felt oh, was yeah. pure hatred for James. I just wanted something bad to happen to James because Peter Cushing was such a nice... There was no reason to do this to him. Well, And so I, it, it, I connected with a character in my hatred of that character, you know, for the first well, time in any of these. So I, also sympathy for the uh, Peter Cushing character, too. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I hated to see bad things happen it, to him. There it would no have reason. been nice for the Peter Cushing character to to push back a little bit before he was dead. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, does he did he not recognize why all this terrible stuff was happening? Was it just, oh, well, they took my dogs. Oh, well, the kids are gone. Oh, I mean... At some point, dude, <laughs> show a little backbone, please. Definitely, but like yeah, uh, it, it's it it it's probably the most relatable piece in the whole lot, simply because he's he's such a nice, sweet old man. You you hate to see what's what's coming to him. It, it's another one of those things where you know, where they suddenly oh well in this episode people can rise from the dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. We we you know, only get the the well, only like. 
uh, leading up to that, we get is he does some stuff with a Ouija board and like some automatic writing stuff. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, yeah. there's one shot where it's kind of panning over his room and you see a couple books about the occult and like I think one of them is like what happens when you die or something along those lines. Oh, so that's yeah. like well, dropping something. <laughs> that's that's all well and good, guys. Yeah. But, I know. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, but as far as character motivation. Hey, okay. Right. I, get, I get the idea of like the the creepy old guy in town. Not even creepy, the old guy in town makes toys against the children. And maybe at first, like as a parent, I'd be like, huh. But why, uh, why are you hanging out with this old man? Yeah, I get it. But as a parent, I'd probably go have a conversation with this guy and realize, oh, he's a toy maker and uh, whatever, and he enjoys doing this. It reminds him of his, of his dead wife. And then we'd have a conversation and we'd probably have a beer together and life would be okay. Like, and, yeah. and, and that's what I, I really, I really, you know. Uh, I felt really bad for him because he just, you know, it's a whole, like, the misunderstood monster. He, not a monster, obviously, but the misunderstood. Uh, everyone sees him as a monster, but he's just a misunderstood old man. Well, see, you know, you, you referred to the uh, the two rich guys as uh, what party they might have voted for. They even call the old man a pedophile. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing, right? Yeah. It's on brand. Oh, Nothing oh, changed. It's on brand, uh-huh. yeah. Let, let me call this guy a pedophile while I'm, while I'm being investigated for sex trafficking. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Only in Florida. Yeah. All right. And, 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 in Knox County, <laughs> and in Knox County, Tennessee. That's what I yeah. <laughs> right. Jody, did you, you read the comic for this one? Yeah, I did. Uh, right. This is another one that's very straightforward adaptation. Uh, I think the comic is probably set a little further in the past. Uh, everyone's dressed a little, you know, Victorian-ish. But other than that, it, it's a pretty straightforward thing. Um, they genuinely have no reason to be mean to this guy, just like in the the segment here. They're just mean. Like, if you look at the artwork, like, they are drawn as these, like, haggard ghouls of people, like, with their stretched out faces and angriness for no reason. And he looks like Geppetto from Pinocchio. <laughs> like, he's just an old man. Nothing happened. The only thing that's different that I will give credit for is at the end, uh, when he finds the beating heart, the little poem that was written. Uh, there's no poem. He's just it's just a beating heart wrapped up in paper, mm. which I think, you know, go the extra mile. Write a poem as a zombie. I, I mean, zombies can do poetry too, I guess. You know how much your fingers would hurt though if you're a zombie trying to write that out? Like that. I know, like rough. you're breaking off pinkies the whole time. It's <laughs> just hard stuff. But he he took the time in the uh the segment to actually write a poem before he just left the beating heart there. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll give some points for that. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Wish You Were Here. By far the best Pink Floyd album. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and then there's that. All right. So Wish You Were Here. Uh, I actually remember this comic. I remember the comic from reading it as a kid. Mm. Um, there's a man named Ralph who is close to losing everything. And uh, he's going into bankruptcy. And his wife notices that this statue that they bought in China has uh, <laughs> an English description uh, written on the bottom, an inscription written on the bottom. Uh, definitely not Chinese. They bought it in China, but it had English on it. Um, that grants them three wishes. And so the wife just kind of casually says, I want to be rich. And her husband leaves. He gets in a car accident. There's a, a, a skull guy on a motorcycle. I don't know what he's about. He just kind of shows up and then disappears and never is mentioned again. 
Uh, but uh, he leaves and goes out and he gets in a car wreck and he dies in that car wreck. And uh, the husband's lawyer, I guess, comes over to tell her about the news and she tells him about the wishes. And uh, he says, well, you got to be really careful because there's a story called the monkey's paw. And this is very much monkey's paw story. He comes over and um, she makes another wish. She wishes for him to be exactly like he was right before he died in this car wreck. Well, bad news is he had a heart attack and died before the car wreck. And so wishing for him to be exactly like he was, still dead. All these undertakers come in and bring his coffin into the house. I'm not sure why. There's like five of them. They look like they're like part of a chorus line of undertakers. But they bring him in. He's dead still. And so she makes her last wish that he was still alive. He would stay alive. He'd be alive forever. Well, dead body has already been embalmed, which let's go ahead and be a nitpicker here. If he was exactly like he was before he died, he was not embalmed. There were no undertakers in his car embalming him. But either way, he was embalmed, and so his dead body rises up. He's in intense pain because he's filled with formaldehyde, and she tries to kill him with a sword, attacks him, chops up pieces. All those pieces stay alive because she was careless with her wish, and she wished for him to be alive forever. And so even as he is chopped into pieces, he is still alive. I will point out one thing that always gets me with the three wishes type stories. The lawyer was freaking standing right there. It says whoever owns it gets three wishes. So all she had to do was go, hey, this statue's yours now. And he could go, I wish none of this happened. And it would be over and everyone would be fine. But no, no one ever thinks about that. They think, oh, no, now I'm stuck with this living corpse forever. So that's where we end with a living corpse chopped into pieces and in intense agony and pain because the monkey's paw you just don't mess with the monkey's paw. Yeah, this is my favorite of the uh, segments in this, it's in a great this movie. Great story. Because I'm, yeah, I'm a. I know the term monkey paw. I'm sure has some problematic implications, and the whole Chinese statue with English writing is problematic. But I just love the those kind of stories. The the three wishes and like they always turn bad on you. I'm just a, I'm just kind of like a sucker for that kind of thing. Um, you ever like watched my, the Wishmaster movie? I've never seen one of those. I always oh man, Wishmaster is so to. good because it's just that. Wish it's like my favorite. Whole movie. Well, my favorite is the Simpsons well, parody of it. Mm-hmm. Homer orders a turkey, wishes for a turkey sandwich, but uh, something on it. I forget what it is, but something's dry and he freaks out. <laughs> and they did, they did it in Looney Tunes as well, where yeah. Daffy Duck found the genie in the lamp and he disgraces him. Um, but I thought, at least in this one, you you have sympathy for the wife who's just trying to, you know, get over her grief of her dead husband. So at least there's a sympathetic character there you kind of felt for in the end. And then she keeps fucking it up more and more and more. And there's some good gore and some, some I thought, some pretty good acting on that. Um, that random motorcycle with that creepy-ass skull mask, that was pretty badass. It was really yeah. random. It especially, cool. for, again, especially in the movie as reserved as this. I, I, it was like... A fresh, it was something fresh, like okay. Right. I, I, I imagine no. someone saw like Psychomania and was like, yeah, We, no, we 100%. Ha- and, and they're just adamant that there's going to be a biker on set wearing a skull mask. Like, it's just <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had the exact same thought. That is a Psychomania mask. And if you've never watched that movie, 
It's another very British movie, but it's British and involves motorcyclists and black magic. And at one point, a man rides out of his grave on a motorcycle. You got to watch it. It's it's actually they should have gotten those guys to direct this because I was way more <laughs> than the vein of film. <laughs> this was actually that was funny. Um, I, I just thought this was a fun episode. One really cool thing: the lawyer is played by Roy Dotrice. And man, he's had an amazing career. He only passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was... Worked with Roy on, on on an episode of Crypt. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Roy, Roy did the uh, uh, the escape, which we shot in Dover Castle. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. In uh, in England, that was that was the. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh man! Yes, uh, nice man. Nice man. Uh, it was one of those. Well, when we when we did the the season in England, uh, we we got to work in locations that we would we would have killed to work in any other season. Uh, gosh, uh, you know um, the uh, Dover Castle where where we shot it is is where they had the tunnels where uh, where Churchill sat during the war, wow. and. Uh, you know, during the downtime, it, it was fun to wander through all. You know, there's a it's a museum now, and it was closed while we were working there, so you know we could wander through the whole place ourselves. Well, I did anyway. It is remarkable, remarkable to to be to use as your movie set, your TV show set, someplace where history happened. That's so cool. That's just this is ludicrous. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're doing dad advice on this episode. I've only been in Europe one time when I went to Austria last year. But mm -hmm. if you ever get a chance to go to some place where old, like really old stuff happened, mm -hmm. please do. Please uh, make that happen uh, because it is incredible to be in a place and go 1,200 years ago, this happened, you know. It, it's so surreal. As I said before, my, my company's based out of Regensburg, Germany in, in Bavaria. And when you go there, there's a McDonald's. And behind the McDonald's are Roman walls that the Romans yeah. built. It's so just insane to see that mm. architecture. And it's also a pre-war city that was never damaged during the war. I mean, they have an old building with a picture of David and Goliath on it because they never want to be part of Germany. They figured, we're the trade stop. Why are, we're Bavaria. We're not Germany. And they always sense that the little guy is fighting against Germany. Um, <laughs> but all that's pre-war and, you know, so old. This is so unreal to see the architecture. And it's, it's breathtaking. It takes you back. Like, it's hard to... Imagine I'm standing on these walls and you can see where they have the archer cutouts for the archers. And mm -hmm. they're, you know, like five feet tall where they were actually aiming at because they're shorter. Right. And just unreal to think I'm standing where a Roman archer was you yeah. know, so long ago. It's... When, when I was a college student a thousand years ago, I took my junior year in Paris and I, I went to Vassar. And so Vassar assigned me, they had Vassar people all over the place. And so... I was given a Vassar mom when I was in Paris, someone who had gone to Vassar and, and lived in Paris. And my, my Vassar mom was a woman named Joan Long, who was the CBS radio uh, correspondent based in Paris. Oh, wow. And Joan had an apartment in uh, the Saint-Germain-des-Prés area, just between the, uh, the Boulevard Saint-Germain-des-Prés in a very studenty area and the river. And she, her apartment had been continuously occupied by people since the year it was built in 1200. Oh, so when you walked into her apartment, 
you knew that people had been living in that space for 700 years. That's so That's cool. That's insane. At the time. Love it. I, yeah. Mind bog. <laughs> like I've, I've gone to Philly and gone to all the courthouses where George Washington signed the Declaration of Independence. And that's only, you know, uh, less than 300 years old. And it's yeah. so crazy to think, like you said, that place was around 500 years before that. Like, uh, uh, unreal. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Israel, and that's just oh, like, <laughs> yeah, mind-boggling just walking around those Agreed. streets. Agree, you know? that's, that's a breathtaking. That's yeah, breathtaking. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Especially, like, especially if you live on the west coast of America, which is only like less than 100 years. Oh, it, 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 so. yeah, Our idea of old and old have nothing to do with each other. Oh, you know, uh, if, yeah. if we have a, anything here in Las Vegas that's over 70 years old, it's, that, that's unreal. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> we have historic Boulder City, which was like built in the forties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in, um, in, in Tennessee, the the oldest stuff we have, there are some Native American sites, and that is very cool. I, I do enjoy cool. uh, visiting those, uh, but outside of that, like it's just white people from a couple hundred years ago. <laughs> I was gonna say you, you probably have some monuments there that probably shouldn't be standing still. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh well, there um, there are some. There's some very famous ones in Tennessee. <laughs> Very uh, bad I, ones. Yeah. So going back, going back to Roy. Every time we get political, I try to bring it back. Roy. No, Roy, no, no, no. Roy. I always so, say bad. Old Roy. Like literally, there is a statue that's just insane, like ridiculous, crazy eyes. I don't know who made it, but they were drawing like a kindergartner, and they made a statue. Uh, so yeah, Roy <laughs> was in Amadeus. He was in Cheech and Chong's Corskin's Brothers. He was the Beauty and the Beast TV show. He was in Earth 2, Babylon 5, Tales from the Crypt. He did the original audiobooks for Game of Thrones. He was in Hellboy 2, and he did a role in the uh, Game of Thrones TV show. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's been, he died like in his mid 90s. So, I mean, big buck of the win for that guy. <laughs> he, he had, uh, compared to most people on this, he had a huge amount of longevity. Um, I did the comic for this one, and it is pretty much the same. Um, they cut down on the lawyer character a little bit in the comic, or at least, or at least the, comic, the lawyer's the, a smaller role. But the, the really crazy thing is at the end where uh, Ralph comes back to life, you, you get to hear him kind of describing, and he's got these really ghastly images of his face in agony. Um, mm. And in, in, the, in the movie, they have the lawyer come in and say, you idiot, he's been embalmed. But here, he's talking about it in the first person. He's describing it in the comic. Mm. It's really, really creepy and intense. Yeah, that, that, that's one thing I wanted to say, Darren Mondo's, but I forgot. Um, I don't mention it every time it happens because it happens a lot in the comics. But a lot of EC comics were done in the first person. And so it they put you in the shoes of the character mm. and that that really puts some immediacy in there and some you know when when something horrible is happening in AC comic probably 75% of the time you're hearing it from the narrator's perspective. All right, let's move on to our final segment, Blind Alleys. Okay. So this this is probably my favorite of them all. Uh, a man named Major William Rogers is becomes the new director of a home for the blind, and he gets rich uh, off the suffering of the people he is in charge of. He cuts the heat, he cuts the blankets, he cuts the food, 
all of this stuff to be efficient, to be efficient and British as possible. And uh, so he he cuts out everything and makes these people live in absolute misery while he lives in uh, relative luxury. He gets good food. He has a nice office with a lot of good stuff in it. Um, they're starving. He has huge meals. One man dies in his bed, uh, probably because of hypothermia in the cold room where he's in. And so the blind men band together and lure his German shepherd into the basement and lock him in a room. And then they take the major and lead him down the stairs and put him in a different room in the basement where he can hear his dog barking. While he's in there for two days without food, and the dog is without food as well, the men start picking up wood from around the area. They take the rest of the staff captive, and they build kind of a maze that the major has to go through. Uh, when he's released two days later, he walks out, and there's these narrow corridors that he has to kind of wind his way through. And one of them is full of razor blades attached to the wall. And it's very narrow, and he has to kind of turn sideways and go through all the razor blades. And then he realizes that the very last room is the room where his dog has been this entire time, unfed for multiple days. And his dog is ravenously hungry. So they open the door. The dog lunges at him. He runs back to the razor hall to try to get away. But ultimately, his dog attacks and eats the major. And maybe this was my favorite just because we finally get a little nasty in here after uh, a Tales from the Crypt movie that has been pretty tame. Uh, razor blades on the wall and a dog eating a man. That's that's kind of my jam. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. this is good stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this was a cool story. Uh, but yeah, that something about those razor blades on the wall. I don't, maybe it's because I've started shaving my head with like a it's like a safety razor, like an old Scott old style safety razor that has real razor blades. Uh, razor blades are freaking scary. Like they're <laughs> sharp as hell. Oh man. And yeah, yeah. the idea of them being like lining the skinny walls, you're just getting cut the whole time you're going through them. And then going through that same area with a dog attacking you. That's, that's nasty. <laughs> that That's tells from the crypt. That's what I'm wanting. Tells from the crypt. <laughs> Mondo, what'd you think? Oh, same. This is my favorite of all the episodes, and uh, I, I do love the very end when he gets through. Well, my my first thought is these razor blades are sticking pretty far out of the wall. You could probably just snap them all off. Yeah, and I don't really know how they were attached. They were kind of floating in there. Uh, but he walks <laughs> out of it. And I, I love the last scene though, when the when the I think when the lights go out. Uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite scene in the entire in the entire movie because there's that real feeling of dread when you hear the dog just snarling and you just know uh, that shit went down. Um, and also the, the one, the one blind man who they kind of immediately pin as being the, I guess the protagonist or being the, the one looking out for the rest of them when he's like, let me get you a blanket. And he searches the cabinets, the blanket. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of heartbreaking. And you yeah. see the, the blind people and they're hovering around the radiator, just trying to get some warmth. And then he goes and he asks the headmaster, like, can we get some heat or some more blankets? He goes, no, nope, sorry, not in the budget this month. It's like, ah, what a, what a piece of shit. So uh, yeah. um, I, was, I was happy, uh, like Jody, so I was happy to see some nastiness. And it, it's one of those things where, and I've mentioned this before in horror movies, when you see someone get their, 
lungs ripped out or something crazy like that. It's you can relate to it in a little bit, but never a hundred percent. But everyone has cut themselves in their lifetime, and you can imagine how that feel running through that corridor of razor blades. It would not be pleasant. So um, this is definitely my favorite segment of the entire movie. Yeah, I, I said earlier in the uh, poetic justice segment that that was the most punchable character. I think the guy in charge of the the facility here may be more punchable because he is truly a piece of shit. He's just well, at least for him, it wasn't personal. With the other guy, it's was not. Like, well, I think that it makes it even worse, though. I don't know. Maybe it's growing up in the world that we live in. The guy who's like, I, you know, all you people who are poor and trying to get by, and I could help you. Fuck all y'all. And, and, well, like that guy, I want something terrible to happen to him. Not even just poor. They're blind and they need help. Yeah. Like they, they rely on this dude and he is just the biggest piece of crap. Yeah. I want something bad to happen. And, and, and then did. when the guy's pleading, like, we need help, and he's like, nah, not in the budget. Money over life, right? Like it's mm-hmm. fuck, it's bad. Al, what'd you think? You know, it we did this episode. Uh, it's called Revenge is the Nuts. Is our version. Uh, we've got Anthony Zerby is, is the villain. Uh, Terry Polo and uh, oh, Isaac okay. Hayes is uh, okay. one of the blind people. Mm. And yes, I this 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 of, of all the of all the episodes in the feature film, this gets closest to the mark because. There's just something diabolically funny about blind people doing what they did. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, you know, they couldn't strip out the the fun of the idea of blind people having the time to build something with the specific dimensions to cause this person the most amount of <laughs> physical pain. Good jigsaw uh, on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's... <laughs> It it automatically they can't escape the the wicked fun of the idea, and so yeah, of of everything in the movie, this one, uh, I think this this is this is the best sequence of them all. It's funny the the uh, the the lead blind guy Patrick McGee, mm-hmm. he's he's very funny. He he's. He can be a really good actor. He can be a really, oh, really poor actor. I think he's very poor in this movie. His his idea of a crazy person is 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 dial it back fifty percent, dude. Really, you're, <laughs> you're you're acting too crazy. He, he he does the same thing in Clockwork Orange. Patrick McGee is the um, he's the guy who's uh, Alex breaks into his house towards the beginning oh. and, and and rapes the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to 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 singing in the rain, mm-hmm. um, Patrick McGee is 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 the guy. And and at, towards the end of the movie, when Alex revisits the house, Patrick drives him to try to commit suicide. But Patrick overacts terribly, terribly in Clockwork Orange, which is why I think Kubrick wanted him because he would, you know, Kubrick Kubrick tended to hire actors, and I don't think he minded their flaws as actors. Um. Anyway, that, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but uh, Patrick McGee is is uh, he he's the only weak thing in the whole segment, just because he he's he's he doesn't know how to play crazy. Well, devil's he, advocate, maybe him going over the top 
compared to how reserved all the other actors are. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. he just maybe it just seems that much more over the top because everyone else is holding back so much. The the Tony, the only movie that I think I can think of Patrick McGee doing, it was another Cooper because he was, you know, Cooper used him all the time. He is very good in Barry Lyndon. He mm. he doesn't oh, he yeah. doesn't have a he's not playing crazy. And he you you completely forget that it's Patrick McGee because he's he doesn't play crazy and so he he's he's good. <laughs> Every time they ask him to play crazy, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right, though. It's this story is the most tales from the cryptish of them all, just because of the elaborateness of what they do. They they construct this whole tunnel system with razors and a dog to eat him at the end. Like that's that's tales from. I mean, I remember one yeah. famous tales from the crypt story that ends with them playing baseball with like all these human body parts. Like it's this elaborate thing that you've had to do to make this happen. And so you, you can't tone down that story too much without completely changing it. And so there's a little bit more tales from the crypt in this story than any of the other stories. The, the TV show succeeded because you know, we, we, we played the irony literally. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't play the morality tale that as literally here they played the morality tale <laughs> literally <coughs> and and not the irony sure you know and yeah. and and so we always um whatever i was saying <laughs> <laughs> all right uh jody armando i forgot I'm, i've lost track I, of who I, did I, what. Got, I got the comic on this one all right um so uh, the comic is is pretty similar but there is like this one panel in here where they talk about how he, how he gets off on playing tricks on the blind people. Like Ooh. he removes the banister for the stairs and he's laughing as they fall down the stairs. Oh, God. And then he just rearranges the furniture. So they're tripping over the furniture and he's laughing. And another one, he set up the classic prank of the water bucket with a rope tied to the door. So they open the door and the water comes down and falls on them. He's just a sadistic bastard that enjoys torturing these poor homeless people. Um, uh, the only real difference towards the end is, is when you see like the the design of the maze they make for him uh, with the razor blades is it looks a lot wider, not so narrow, not so uh, claustrophobic, um, but still stays pretty close to comic aside from that. Uh, another interesting thing about this, if you think about it uh, with the razor blades, the razor blades weren't designed to kill him. They're designed to cause pain and also in the dark. If he's bleeding, what can the dog smell? Yeah, and, and the dog in this one actually looks more like an American pit bull uh, than mm. a, uh, a German shepherd. Which uh, pit bulls are nice dogs if you just treat them right and teach them right. They're great dogs. I had a pit bull; he's a sweetheart. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, that was interesting too. But uh, overall, a pretty pretty close to comic. Aside from in the, in the, in the in the movie again, like uh, much to Al's point, in the the movie it was was it there's no like over-the-top stuff he was doing to the homeless people like or the homeless but the blind people uh, like it was in the comic where he's like making them trip over stuff for his own amusement it was just straight pretty much sadism like uh, my me making a dollar is more important than your health where in this one he in the comic he truly enjoyed uh, making these uh, poor blind people's lives hell yeah and in, in the episode in the segment this was just capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just capitalism of let's get as much money as we can and, you know, screw these folks over if it happens. 
he wasn't necessarily sadistic, but I somehow almost think it's worse to just be so unconcerned with people for the sake of money. Uh, uh, no, well, well, he they bring up the comic too, where he's like, "This is an awesome gig. They all have to pay to live here, and I don't really have to pay any money to keep them alive." So, uh, it's, it's definitely some capitalism in there too. But just add on top of that, he's like, "You know, it's Wednesday. We're gonna make some blind people trip. Like, it's pretty, <laughs> and, and not a fun trip. A, uh, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> a physical trip, so it's a uh, yeah. He's, I, I think it's a little bit nastier in the comic, but I, but I, but I get you because in the in, he he's not as I don't know. Like it's yeah, the character's a little more wackier in the comic, but that sadistic streak combined with the capitalist streak, eh, it's it's not good. This was another character I was waiting for something bad to happen, and something genuinely bad happened, yeah. and I I enjoyed yeah. it much more than what happened to the other guy. <laughs> no, no one's gonna miss that guy. No, 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 no. Cool. Yeah. All right, Jody, uh, why don't you finish us off with the uh, the end of the wraparound? Okay, we, we wrap it up with the big reveal that this was not actually warnings of what could happen if they did these things. They already did all these things. All this stuff had already happened. This was actually what had happened to the five people who were in this place. And they were paying their punishment because they uh, were unrepentant for what they had done. And they are in hell. A door opens up and a man, one of the men, I think maybe the guy from this last story, walks through. And you see him do the like green screen fall of, ah, kind of wave his arms around and uh, falls into flames. (laughs) And then the other four just kind of get up and... uh, Start walking towards that door themselves, and the crypt keeper. I don't know yeah, why, they do that. why doesn't anyone resist. <laughs> yeah, they don't resist. Wait, wait, I'm not going there. <laughs> then we we end with the crypt keeper going, and now who's next? And then he turns and faces the camera. Perhaps you. And that's it. <laughs> it fades to black at that point. So that's the, I guess also the closest we get to a crypt keeper is addressing the audience directly there. Uh, the Crypt Keeper we all know and love. Yeah, uh, he, little, he, little jokiness. Finally, a little jokiness. He actually violates the, the, the fourth wall at the very yeah. last second. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like they've completely fundamentally misunderstood that character and thought they'd give us like one tiny bone and then make up for it. Yeah. Like, right. Mm-hmm. He's been very serious until the very, very last second. You get a little bit of that camp. Just well, a touch. It, it makes a little bit of sense to the comics because he's talking to the character and the character's actually in the room with him. So I, sure. I, I get what they did, although maybe not great. Yeah. It's um, just so serious. It's just what. As, as well, the Joker said, why so serious? Oh, it, <laughs> like, it, have some fun here. I, I, I won't lie. It took me three sittings to get through everything just because I was at a three-day metal fest. And I was tired. And I was like, I cannot watch this for an hour and a half with these stupid commercials. <laughs> so I watched, <laughs> I watched a couple. Then I watched the last one today. So it did help breaking it up, to be honest with you. So I think I might have enjoyed it a little well, bit more because I broke it up. One um, thing that threw me, not threw me, but I was confusing was, okay, so the premise is that they think that they're going to be shown what's going to happen, except at the very beginning when they're walking through the catacombs, um, the Joan Collins character says, oh, I dropped my brooch, and someone picks it up. So she established that she has the brooch. And then in her um, segment, she opens one of her Christmas presents, and it's the brooch. So she already has the brooch. So you know her story had to have already happened. Mm-hmm. 
But she doesn't so, know, so that's it's fine. Doesn't it doesn't have any, but but we know, but she doesn't. That's okay. Yeah, well it seemed like well see, I'm trying to figure out whether the they're trying to tell us that it that they're being deceived or expect it to be a twist for us. I was just a little confused by that because it's supposed to be the ending comes off as oh, these aren't foretellings, they're reminders. Well, maybe mm-hmm. think of it as they don't remember their deaths, but she got the brooch before her death, so she remembered that. She didn't remember. She didn't remember the trauma. No, yeah. Now I get for them. I'm trying to figure out what are they trying to get us to think. Right. And I feel like they gave us a huge clue that, uh, like, yeah. yeah. I, I think you're overthinking. I think all they want <laughs> you to think is when you saw that brooch appear, you're like, oh, it's a brooch. I think that was. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't probably. pay enough attention. I didn't notice yeah. the brooch. Me, 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 <laughs> me either. So my been a cool little <laughs> filmmaker thing where they thought maybe you guys remember this and Jason was the only smart enough one out of the three of us to. I was just paying too much attention to John Collins. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Who can, um, who can blame you? Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts before we do our reading? I mean, I, I think overall, again, as an amicus anthology, which I do enjoy. They're very British. I there there is a time and place for serious British uh, horror. I like uh, the BBC did a thing of uh, ghost stories for Christmas, and I like that. That's a tradition in in England uh, to tell ghost stories at Christmas. But I, I like those. They're they're very serious, very dry, and sometimes they can be exactly what you want. Now, if I was looking for tales from the crypt out of this. I would have been disappointed. But as far as approaching this just as a British anthology movie, I think it's worth watching. But don't expect anything like what you get uh, from the Tales from the Crypt series. Not even close. Okay. Like like the the tone of Amicus Monster Club would have fit way better with modern Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, that one's more playful. That one's pretty playful, actually. All right, let's do our ratings. Al, you're our guest, so you get to go first. So we do our ratings zero to five, zero being the worst, five being the best. You can do half points. And this is your personal rating, so it's not you know on some grander scale. So for you, what do you oh, rate this? Gosh, yeah, it, it, it gets a one. Oh, harsh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, it well made, but it doesn't understand the, the source material. And it, it, it betrays the source material because it, it doesn't understand it. It's it's not a good adaptation. And it mm. it it it's yeah, it's it's like bad Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I mean right. I think I think of any of us if uh if anyone has an idea of what it's like to take the source material and do it right, <laughs> Al would know. So <laughs> Yeah, guys, how did you fuck this? Oh, that's right. You're, you're English. That's how you fuck this. <laughs> to all our English listeners out there. But not, not there there is nothing English. wrong with being British. But, but just because you're, you're, you're not Jews from Brooklyn, you, you, you didn't yeah. understand the, yeah. you know, the something essential of, yeah, what makes that material work. They misunderstood the assignment. Yes. Yeah. All right. Jody. All right, so again, I'm kind of judging this more on the amicus anthology level. I'm going to go as an amicus anthology for a three out of five on this one. It's a, it's a decent, there's some fun moments. I did like that last story quite a bit. 
uh, I'm looking forward now that I know that it was made in the TV show to see it done right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, two, 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 I'm actually really looking forward to that episode now. Season six. Season six. I don't know that we did that episode right. Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're put yeah, out no. to the test. Yeah, Jonas McCord, God, yeah, that was one of those favors, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a that was a favor director. Okay. Well, okay. At the very least, to see it done by somebody who understands what Tales from the Crypt is, it's somewhat easy style. Some of the people do, at least. <laughs> Mondo. All right. So yeah, if I had to rate it in the. In the realm on, your, of, on your level. Yeah, if I had a rate in the realm of Tales from the Crypt, it's not getting very high at all because it wasn't the Tales from the Crypt I love. But I'm with Jody on this one. As an amicus anthology, I'd give it a three. Uh, I, I'd say don't... Like, if you're expecting Tales from the Crypt what we've been talking about now for a year, you're not going to get it. It's completely different. Uh, like Al said, it's very British, uh, very, very tonally serious. And and not what I not necessarily what I uh, would want out Tales from the Crypt, but as an anthology, as a horror anthology, if you didn't know the original source material, I, I think somewhere between a two point five and a three. So if I five if I have to guess, I'm going to go a little bit higher and say three. Okay. Yeah, I mean the fact that it has the Tales from the Crypt name on it, I just I can't divorce that from the material itself, mm-hmm. even though oh, it's amicus. Yeah, totally respect that. So I'm going with a two. Um, there's definitely some highlights, but on average, it just doesn't really work with what I'm I, I, looking I, for from a Tales of the Crypt property. I, I 100%. Think, yeah. I, and I do think it's interesting that the, the first and probably the last segments are probably the strongest, maybe. No, maybe the last two are probably the strongest. But when you end on a high note, it's funny because mm-hmm. it makes you, it gives you a better taste in your mouth at, at, at the end of the day, as opposed to like when, you know, we've all seen those anthologies where it's like strong, 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 ooh, terrible. And then you kind of dismiss the whole movie because it's mm-hmm. it ended on a terrible note, and this at least ended on the best note possible. So I think that helps a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, ordering and when you're doing an anthology, the order in which you, you present them is very, very key. Yeah, like, I'll be honest; it went in the reverse order, and I was trying to watch that last episode today after you know twelve hours of a metal concert and getting no sleep and going to work all day. I'd probably be just very salty right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps wraps up our episode review. Um, let's move on to our song of the day. Oh, okay. I thought we were doing trivia, but uh, or is it trivia first? No, song of the day yeah, first. Song of the day first. We can switch if you no, want. It's fine. I'm, just, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired. It's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have a really short and easy one today. So this past weekend was Psycho Fest Las Vegas, which is three days of just metal fest, and I'm too old for that shit. Like I'm really feeling it today after spending 12 hours a day at the resorts at Resorts World Las Vegas. Um, but I do find it funny that people were there who definitely took their family on a Las Vegas vacation and are at this casino where there's metal bands playing everywhere and all you can hear is metal bands playing and all these crusty metal-looking motherfuckers walking around. There's something pretty <laughs> endearing about that, but I had a blast. And, and the headliners last night were Merciful Fate from Copenhagen, mm-hmm. Denmark. King Diamond's been around. So I've, I've talked about them before here. So I'm not yeah, those are good this. ones. Uh, yeah, Merciful Fate and King Diamond, two separate bands. King Diamond is a frontman of Merciful Fate. When they want to go more commercial, he said, fuck you, I want to go more Satan, and started King Diamond instead, and then they reunited. And this is their first tour, this first show in America in like 25 years. Oh, wow. Uh, playing the Merciful Fate material, great stage show, fun crowd, everyone's having a good time. So uh, my song of the day is me from Merciful Fate, 
off of um god i can't even think of which record it was off of right now it was either off melissa or don't break the oath i think it was off don't break the oath it's called a dangerous meeting because this whole anthology is about a dangerous meeting with the crypt keeper good one that's from dangerous meeting by the way that is not from dangerous meeting that's the name of the song i mean um <laughs> no sorry I had the album a second ago. No, you didn't. I did this once before. <laughs> I tried to uh, to do some Googling and check Mondo, and I was wrong. I learned oh, no, better. sorry. It's There's a, a compilation. It's from There's don't, a compilation called Dangerous Meeting. Yeah, it's from Don't... It, well, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds, like bootlegs and content and whatever, but it's it's from yeah. Don't Break the Oath. I can I'm tell because I Googled it. A little thumbnail is a cover of Don't Break the Oath. There you go. Which is kind of crazy because like that came out during the whole Satanic Panic era. And instead of him saying, let's take a step back and be more rock and roll, he goes, no, let's just get in on the satanic panic. <laughs> <laughs> Which I respect. I love Melissa, though. That's a great album. Uh, the whole record. That, that's a fantastic. He played, he played the title track off that, so that's cool. Nice. All right, Jody, give us some trivia. All right, so I'm just going with some IMDb trivia here. I already mentioned one that uh, this was Peter Cushing as Peter Cushing. Uh, but here's just a few things that I found that I thought were interesting. Stephen King and George Romero considered remaking this movie together, uh, but they ended up making Creepshow instead. Very similar type movie, except for, again, they got the tone down. Yeah. Um, Robert Zemeckis said this is his favorite movie to watch on Halloween uh, since it was released <laughs> as, a, uh, as a young person. And, of course, obviously, he was one of the producers of the Tales from the Crypt show. So... I feel like this is one of these movies that he watched, he got something out of it, and then said, I can do it better. Uh, I, I, <laughs> and, so, I, and he did. Okay, And yeah. he did. Well, yeah. When I saw the look on Al's face, I'm like, maybe that trivia is not accurate. <laughs> yeah, IMDb, you take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's right. Anyone could do it. But at, according to IMDb, uh, it says that. Um, uh, I, I, I would question only because having talked to, to, to Bob about film... I don't know. I don't know about that. You can go Sure. If it sells something, sure. Whatever. (laughs) It's it's a good story anyway, right? Um, All of the Crypt Keeper segments were filmed in a day, so uh, we had our serious Crypt Keeper there uh, for a day on set, and he got to do all of his stuff and uh, then move on with his life. And, you know, they shot them all one way. And if you look at, at, at they, you could see how, how they did that. They, they shot him all in the master. Then they shot him uh, uh, at, least one, at least one size. They got him uh, at least there. So, And then when they shot the other side, the other actors, it was never, it was never with him. Uh, there might have mm-hmm. been one or two shots across him, but it could have been anyone sitting in, in, it was from behind. <clears throat> and so really it, it didn't have to be Ralph, Ralph Richardson sitting in, in, in the wardrobe. Yeah, they, they, they hired him for one day. He, he was yeah. their expensive hire. And then the last one here, uh, the mansion in the Wish You Were Here segment, that's the, uh, uh, the monkey's paw one, is the same house in London uh, that they did uh, The Omen in. It was Gregory Peck and Lee Remick's house in The Omen. So uh, we got some more horror connections uh, to this exact same house. Directed by Richard Donner. Yeah. My, that's right. My boss. <laughs> All right. Um, Molly, you can edit this part out, but do we want to do data advice? We just want to cut it. What do we think? Your guys call. 
Hmm? Your call. I'm okay. Back to, back to school advice. Hey, back to, back to school. <laughs> uh, how, 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 how old is everyone's kids here? Is everyone going back to school? No, kids my, back to school? Uh, my kid will be 20 in December, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tw- tw- 21, I've got. She, she just went back to school for her senior year at, uh, at UC Davis. Right? Yeah. That, that's my last yeah. one in school. Uh, my, mine took a semester off just because, uh, you know, life stuff happened. And I was like, just take a semester off, get your yeah. head straight, and then go back. Yeah, I range from six to sixteen, so we're right in the middle of school right now. If you haven't heard, I think <laughs> Jody, your school Jody has like, uh, uh, just a Jody could just have a, a homeschool class at his house and have, <laughs> and, and would still be over the t- the student teacher limit somehow. <laughs> what, what do you is six six Jody six yeah six yeah. kids. There's a bunch of us. We're taking over. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, mine start back next week. Do, do we want to talk about that? We just want to end I mean, the episode. I mean, if you have any tips for kids going back to school and parents dealing with it, like, um, I'll just say it's okay. Like, just let your kids fly like Freebird. <laughs> All right, here I'll I'll, I'll I'll dive something in real quick. Um, okay, so for dad advice, you know, a lot of kids are either going back to school or um, have gone back to school. Uh, mine go back next week, but we're doing all the shopping and everything. Uh, Jody, your kids are back. Yeah, we're already back. We we get to set our own schedule, but yeah, we're already back. And Alan, I think you said you're taking your youngest is going back to school uh, for a senior year. Uh, she just she just went back up over the weekend. She's she's back. Well, what, what yeah, she's so happy as can be. What is that, she? That's, that's where she belongs. What is she majoring in? Uh. English and feminist studies. Nice. Oh, nice. So um, I thought it'd be good for um, our listeners, if you have any back-to-school advice, to send it to us, and we'll put out a call on Twitter, and we can discuss that further in our next episode. That sounds great. Real real fast, for new parents out there who, not new parents, but your kids are going to school for the first time, it's rough until you get to, like, week two. And (laughs) as you have those times where it's just quiet in your house, worth it. See, I'm, I'm the, I was the, I've been the opposite where the first two weeks I'm like, Oh, it's quiet. I love it. I get to do whatever I want you know, while I'm working from home. And then after about two weeks, I'm like, okay, it's too quiet. I'm going a little stir crazy here. Me and the dog are becoming a little too close. Really? <laughs> Boy. <laughs> well, if, you know, when, when, when both my kids were away at school and, and, and we thought, God, we've got the house to ourselves. And, and then my son graduated and, and moved back into our house that was a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if you're doing like me and avoiding the Tennessee school systems, <laughs> um, then, uh, you know, you, you, you never have a moment of quiet in your oh life. So <laughs> uh, you homeschool your kids and they're always here. So, so uh, when, when you homeschool, do you have like a special room for that? Or nah. do you have like, we, we are just use the kitchen. We are, we are loosey-goosey. We use the kitchen. We use my office. I don't work uh, a lot during the day. I work at night so that they can have my computer available. And, you know, it's it's one of those make-it-work kind of situations. We, we go all over. People do things where works best for them. That's part of the reason why we do what we do is, uh, you know, I have a kid that's a night owl, and so he likes to do a lot of his stuff at night like I do, and that's cool. He gets to do it at night when he's at his most functional Uh the ones that want to wake up early and do stuff early in the morning, 
awesome. I sleep through it all and my wife helps them out because she's a morning person too. So, uh, you know, the adapt the adaptability yeah. of it all is really nice. And, and I'll actually, I'll plug that really big, you know, it's really lean into how your children learn. You know, if you're, yeah. your kid doesn't like to write out things, you know, sometimes some kids have, you know, um, I don't want to say disabilities, but conditions where, you know, writing is just not conductive sure. for them. Have them type it, you know, well, well, try to figure it. out how to set your kid up for success and being adaptable. Absolutely. I mean, uh, when we were young, we all learned about the different learning styles and that stuff still stays, stays true today. Like I was never a no, I was always an audible learner. I was never a note taker. Mm. If, if I take notes, I'm going to forget everything you're telling me because I'm more focused on taking notes. So I didn't take notes. Mm-hmm. I, I teachers yell at me like you're not taking notes. I'm like, just trust me. It's cool. And I'm listening now. Yeah, and then I, <laughs> and then I pass that test. They never give me shit again. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think it's cool. I think it's like you said. It's important to embrace how your kids learn, and um, don't give them shit if they don't learn like you do, because everybody's just different. Like, you know. Um, Jody, we did have a question from someone that DM us on Instagram about: Have you ever used um, horror themes to help your kids learn? I don't know that I've ever used it in learning. Oh. <laughs> uh, they've definitely been introduced. The, the ones that want it, we've talked about this before, the ones that are interested, uh, we, we have found ways to uh, spend some time together and bond as a family over horror. Uh, I just watched the original Orphan for the first time, and I mm. really wish I didn't know the twist. If somebody is listening to this and somehow doesn't know the twist, I'm not going to reveal it, but I cannot wait to watch this with my kids who want to watch because they don't know the twist. And I can't wait to watch it with them and see their response to it because that's just fun. It's fun watching a movie and knowing something cool is coming up and getting to watch your kids experience that moment. Jody's like, I don't use horror to teach them, but if they want to leave the house, they have to go to go through a maze lined with razor blades. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, remember that those old um, problems where like the dog can't be with a cat and they have to get across the river. Sure, but sure. I'm thinking like, okay. So Jason and Freddie can't be in the boat at the same time, but Jason and Michael can be, and uh, Freddie and the Crypt Keeper can be. So what uh, order? You got to take Freddie across, then come back, get the Crypt Keeper, take Fre- <laughs> uh, then you got to take the first guy back. The oh my god, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I thought the Crypt Keeper would just be chill with everybody though. Yeah. Just what, be cracking what are you gonna do? Time. Cut his head off? He's gonna make some joke about how you cut his head off, and Jason's not gonna understand it. Freddie will probably get a get a get a get a kick out of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On, on a completely unrelated note yes. for, for horror things in the family, I just found out the other day that Lowe's has horror decorations that are like mm. licensed characters now. Oh, shit. Oh, nice. Like you can get string lights that are all like little hockey masks. And man, I got to get Lowe's because <laughs> I want a bunch of little hockey mask string lights hanging I around think, my house. Uh, I think this is the year. <laughs> wow. I uh, think this is the year. I, hey, these are wonderful times we live in. It right? absolutely is. I, I think this is the year that I get the twelve foot skeleton. Yes. I have one friend who has it, and I'm envious of him every my, day. My, my selling point <laughs> to my wife: my wife loves horror, so it's fine. It's no big deal there. Is that we just decorate them for every holiday, like for for, yeah. Christ, for Christmas, Santa hat, bam, done. Now he's a Christmas decoration. Put some lights on him. Like I think this is a great idea. St. Patrick's Day, bam, hat and a clover, right? Like done, easy. And we can have him out year round. I don't have to worry about storing storing him. That's that's for that's for quitters. I one hundred percent agree. As, <laughs> and anyone who's watching us on video sees my skeletons in the background that have been there for about yeah. two years solid. Those are Halloween decorations. Except for so. the one still doing that ball kick right now, like kicking them right in the balls. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> 
<laughs> good form too. Is that like straight? Did did you have your daughter right. critique the form? Let me make sure the form was correct. <laughs> no, I've seen them enough to, to okay. do it myself. We got it. All right. I think that wraps up another episode. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, thank guys. You, it was a pleasure to sit in with you. It really was. All right. Love Where it. can people find you? I, they you, can find me. I wish they would please tell me and uh, and let me know where I am. <laughs> um, uh, well, of course, you can always find me at uh, how not the how not to make a movie podcast. Uh, you can find me dot uh, com. You can also find me at uh, how to live bullshit free dot com. That's my my main blog. All right, and your Twitter is always a who. What oh, is your Twitter I'm, handle? I'm, is at I'm Alan. I'm Al Katz. Mm-hmm. on twitter and and uh i don't know the rest i'm i'm i'm, I'm bringing that online slowly <laughs> all right one one thing at a time that's fine all right well next week we will be kicking off season five of tales of the crypt with death of some salesman we gosh mm-hmm. jody just gonna be a big one that's a good episode i see yeah. jody fist pumping exactly the, one time that was what that was <laughs> That's a particularly near and dear episode. The just working with with Tim was was, was such a pleasure. Uh, guys, I could tell you stories. Yeah, hopefully maybe we'll hear some stories. All right, we'd appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate everyone for listening. We'd really appreciate it if everyone could give us a reading review on iTunes, a reading on Spotify, and check out our Patreon for both of this content. With that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypts. Adios. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch, but be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> Ha 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 